Hey everyone and welcome to this new episode, episode 19, of The Curious Dragon. So, in this podcast, we are going to take a look at tarot. Obviously, the most known element for tarot is the card readings, but this episode is looking at the history of tarot, where it came from, and when did it start, and also... Apologies for me attempting various names as well. History. One of the earliest references to tarot triumphs and probably the first reference to tarot as the devil's picture book is given around the times of 1450 to 1470. This by a Dominican preacher in a fiery sermon against the evils of the devil's instrument. References to the tarot as a social plague continue throughout both the 16th and 17th centuries, but there was no real indications that the cards were used for anything but games, anywhere other that is in Bologna. Philosopher and also tarot historian Michael Dummett noticed It was only in the 1780s when the practice of fortune-telling with regular playing cards had been well established for at least two decades that anyone began to use the tarot pack for cartomancy. The belief in the divinatory meaning of the cards is closely associated with a belief in their occult properties This, a commonly held belief in the 18th century, propagated by prominent Protestant clerics and Freemasons. From its uptake as an instrument of prophecy in France, the tarot went on to be used in hermeneutic, magical, mystical, semiotic and also psychological practices. It was used by the Romani people when telling fortunes, also used as a Jungian psychological apparatus capable of tapping into absolute knowledge in the unconscious, used as a tool for archetypal analysis and also a tool used for facilitating the Jungian process of individuation. Court de Gebelong. Many involved in occult and divinatory practices attempt to trace the tarot to ancient Egypt divine hermetic wisdom and the mysteries of Isis. So, possibly the first of those was Anton Court de Gebelong, a French clergyman who wrote that after seeing a group of women playing cards. He had the idea that tarot was not merely a game of cards, but was in fact of ancient Egyptian origin, of mystical, Kabbalistic import and also of deep divine significance. Court de Gebelin published a dissertation on the origins of the symbolism in the tarot in volume 8 of Le Monde Primitif in 1781. He thought that tarot represented ancient Egypt theology, including Isis, Osiris and Typhon, 
For example, he thought that the card he knew at the Parpets and known as the High Priestess represented Isis. He also related four tarot cards to the four Christian cardinal virtues, temperance, justice, strength and prudence. He also related the tower to a Greek fable about avarice. Although the ancient Egyptian language had not yet been fully deciphered, Court de Jebelon asserted the name Taro came from the Egyptian words ta meaning path or road and the word ro ros or rog meaning king or royal and that the taro literally translated was the royal road of life. Later Egyptologists found nothing in the Egyptian language to support Court de Jebelin's etymologies. So, and despite this lack of any evidence, the ongoing belief that the tarot cards are linked to the Egyptian Book of Thoth continues on to the present day. The actual source of the occult tarot can be traced to two articles in Volume 8 Le Monde, one written by Court de Gebelon and the other written by an unknown, as strangely most of that person's name was removed. With the second article, this was noted to have been even more influential than Court de Gebelon's. The author takes Court de Gebelon's speculation even further, agreeing with him about the mystical origins of tarot in ancient Egypt but making several additional and also influential statements that continue to influence mass understanding of the occult tarot even to this day. He made the first statements proposing that the tarot was the Book of Thoth and also made the first association of tarot with cartomancy. Court de Gebelon was also the first to imply the existence of a connection between tarot and the Romani people, although this connection did not become well established in the public consciousness until around, around the 1850s. Etiella The first person to assign divinatory meanings to tarot was the cartomancer Jean-Baptiste Alliette, also known as Etiella, in 1783. According to author Michael Dummett, Etiella devised a method of tarot divination in 1783, wrote a cartomantic treatise of tarot as the Book of Thoth, created the first society for tarot cartomancy, created the first corrected tarot known as the Grand Etiella deck, created the first Egyptian tarot to be used exclusively for tarot cartomancy and also published under the imprint of his society, the Dictionary Synomonique du Livre de Thot, a book that systematically tabulated all the possible meanings which each card could bear when upright and reversed. Etiella also suggested that tarot 
was a repository of the wisdom of Hermes Trismegistus, was a book of eternal medicine, was an account of the creation of the world, argued that the first copy of tarot was imprinted on leaves of gold. In his 1980s book, The Game of Tarot, Michael Dummett suggested that Etiella was attempting to supplant Court de Gebelon as the author of the occult tarot. Etiella, in fact, claimed to have been involved with tarot longer than Court de Gebelon. Marie-Anne Lenormand Marie-Anne Adelaide Lenormand outshone even Etiella and was the first cartomancer to people in high places through her claims to be the personal confidant of Empress Josephine, Napoleon and other notable people. Lenormand used both regular playing cards in particular the PK pack, as well as tarot cards, likely derived from the Tarot de Marseille. Following her death in 1843, several different cartomantic decks were published in her name, including the Grand Jeu de Me Lenormand. This was a 36-card deck derived from the German game Das Spiel der Hoffnung, first published around 1850. Eliphas Levi The concept of the cards as a mystical key was extended by Eliphas Levi. Levi, whose actual name was Alphonse Louis Constant, was educated in the seminary of Saint-Sulpice, was ordained as a deacon but never became a priest. Michael Dummett noticed, noted that it is from Levi's book, Dogme et Ritual, that the whole of the modern occultist movement stems. Levi's magical theory was based on a concept he called the astral light, and, according to Dummett, he claimed to be the first to have discovered intact and still unknown this key of all doctrines and all philosophies of the old world without tarot. The magic of the ancients is a closed door. Levi accepted Court de Gebelon's claims to that the deck had an Egyptian origin but he rejected Etiella's interpretation and rectification of the cards in favour of a reinterpretation of the Tarot de Marseille. He called it the Book of Hermes, and then claimed that the Tarot was an antique, existed before Moses, and was in fact a universal key of erudition, philosophy and magic that could unlock hermetic and Kabbalistic concepts. So, according to Levi, an imprisoned person with no other book than the tarot, if he knew how to use it, could in a few years acquire universal knowledge and would be able to speak on all subjects with 
unequalled learning and inexhaustible eloquence. According to Dummett, Levi's notable contributions included the following. Levi was the first to suggest that the magus was to be depicted in conjunction with the symbols of the four suits. Inspired by the Jebelon, Levi associated the Hebrew alphabet with the tarot trumps and attribute an onomatic astrology system to the ancient Hebrew Kabbalists. Levi linked the ten numbered cards in each suit to the ten Sephiroth. He claimed the court cards represented stages of human life. He also claimed the four suits represented the Tetragrammaton. French tarot after Levi. Occultists, magicians and the Magi all the way down to the 21st century have cited Levi as a defining influence. Among the first to seemingly adopt Levi's ideas was Jean-Baptiste Pitois. He wrote two books under the name of Paul Christian that referenced the tarot. In his books, Pitois repeated and extended the mythology of the tarot and changed the names for the trumps and the suits. So, batons and wands now became scepters, while swords became blades and also the coins became shekels. However, it wasn't until the late 1880s that Levi's vision of the occult tarot truly began to bear fruit as finally his ideas on the occult began to be propounded by various French and English occultists. In France, secret societies such as the French Theosophical Society, 1884, and also the Kabbalistic Order of the Rose Cross, 1888, served as the seeds for further developments in the occult tarot in France. The French occultist Papas was one of the most prominent members of these societies. Joining the Isis Lodge of the French Theosophical Society in 1887 and also became a founding member of the Kabbalistic Order of the Rose Cross in the next year, 1888. Among his 260 publications are two treatises on the use of tarot cards. Le Tarot des Bohemes, 1889, which attempted to formalise the method of using tarot cards in ceremonial magic, first proposed by Levi in his Clef des Grands Mysteries, 1861, and Le Tarot Watoire, 1909, which focused on simpler divinatory use of the cards. Another founding member of the Kabbalistic Order of the Rose Cross, the Marquis Stanislas de Huita, met the amateur artist Oswald Worth in 1887 and subsequently sponsored a production of Levi's intended deck. Guided entirely by de Huita, Worth now designed the first neo-occultist cartomantic deck, and this was the first cartomantic deck 
that wasn't derived from Etiella's Egyptian deck. Released in 1889 as Le Vinduc Arcanis de Cabalistique, it consisted of only the 22 major arcana and was revised under the title of Le Tarot des Images de Moyen Age in 1926. Worth also released a book about his revised cards, which also contained his own theories of the occult tarot under the same title the following year. Outside of the Kabbalistic order in 1888, the French Magus Eli Starr published Les Mysteries de Horoscope, which and mostly repeats Christian's modifications. The primary contribution was the introduction of the terms Major Arcana and also Minor Arcana, and also numbering of the crocodile, the fool, 22 instead of 0. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and its Heirs The late 1880s not only saw the spread of the occult tarot in France, but also had its initial adoption in the English-speaking world. In 1886, Arthur Edward Waite published The Mysteries of Magic. This was a selection of Levi's writings that was translated by Waite and the first significant treatment of the occult tarot to be published in England. But, however, it was only through the establishment of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in 1888 that the occult tarot was now to become established as a tool in the English-speaking world. Of the three founding members of the Golden Dawn, two of them, Samuel Liddell Mathers and William Wynne Westcott, published texts relating to the occult tarot prior to the founding of the order. Westcott is known to have made ink sketches of tarot trumps in or around 1886, and also discussed the tarot in his treatise Tabula Bambina Sive Mensa Isica. That was published in 1887, while Mathers had also published the first British work which primarily focused on the tarot in his 1888 booklet entitled The Tarot, Its Occult Signification, Use in Fortune Telling and Method of Play. The tarot was also mentioned explicitly in the cipher manuscripts that served as the founding document of the Hermetic Order, both implicitly and in the form of a separate essay accompanying the manuscript. This essay was to serve as the basis for most of the tarot interpretations by the Golden Dawn, and its immediate successors, including such features as placing the fool before the other 21 trumps when determining the Kabbalistic correspondence of the major arcana to the Hebrew alphabet, attributing the Hebrew alphabet correspondences to pathways in the tree of life.
swapping the positions of the 8th and 11th Arcana, Justice and Strength, reassigning Kabbalistic planetary associations to accord with the reordered trumps. The Golden Dawn also renamed the suits of batons and coins to wands and pentacles, swapped the order of the king and the knight among the court cards, renaming them the prince and the king respectively, changed the page to become the princess, assigned each of the court cards to the letters of the tetragrammaton so associating both the court cards and the suits to the four classical elements associated each of the 36 ranked from 2 to 10 inclusive with one of the 36 astrological decans the hermetic order never released its own tarot deck for public use, preferring instead for members to create their own copies of a deck designed by Mathers with art done by his wife Moina Mathers. However, many of these innovations would make their first public appearance in two influential tarot decks designed by members of the order. These were the Rider Waite Smith deck and the Thoth deck. In addition, occultists Israel Regadi involved himself in two separate recreations of the original Golden Dawn deck, the Golden Dawn Tarot of 1978 with art by Robert Wang and the new Golden Dawn Ritual Tarot by Sheik and Sandra Cicero, released after Regadi's death in 1991. The central document containing the Golden Dawn's Tarot Interpretations, Book T, was first published openly, if not under that title, by Alistair Crowley in his occult periodical, The Equinox, in 1912. The volume would later be republished independently in 1967. Waite and Crowley the Ryder Waite Smith deck, released in 1909, was the first complete cartomantic tarot deck, other than those derived from Etiella's Egyptian tarot. The deck, designed by Arthur Edward Waite, was executed by Pamela Coleman Smith, a fellow Golden Dawn member, and was the first tarot deck to feature complete scenes for each of the 36 suit cards. Between 2 and 10, since the Solar Busca Tarot of the 15th century, with designs that are very probably based in part on a number of photographs of them that are held by the British Museum. The deck followed the Golden Dawn in its choice of suit names and in swapping the order of the trumps of Justice and Strength, but essentially preserved the traditional designations of the court cards. The deck was followed by the release of The Key to the Tarot, also by Waite, in 1910. The Thoth deck, first released as part of Alistair Crowley's 
the Book of Thoth in 1944, represents a somewhat different evolution of the original Golden Dawn's designs. The deck executed by Lady Frieda Harris as a series of paintings between the years of 1938 to 1942 owes much to Crowley's development of the Thelema in the years following the end and dissolution of the Hermetic Order. While the deck follows Golden Dawn's teachings with respect to the zodiacal associations of the major arcana and the associations of the minor arcana with the various astrological decans. It also reverted to the traditional Marseille numbering of justice and strength as arcana 8 and 11. Swap the Hebrew alphabet associations of the 4th and 17th arcana the Emperor and the Star, in accordance with Crowley's Liber Legis of 1913. Renamed several of the major arcana, renamed the suits of batons and coins to wands and discs, adopted the Golden Dawn's court cards, except that the knight was not renamed. So while Crowley managed to print a partial testron of the standalone deck, using seven colour plates included in the Book of Thoth, it was not until the 1960s after both of Crowley and Harris's deaths that the desk deck was now first printed in its entirety. Tarot in the United States Two of the earliest publications on tarot and in the English language were published in the United States, including a book by Madame Camille Le Normand entitled Fortune Telling by Cards or Cartomancy Made Easy. Published in 1872 and also an anonymous American essay on the tarot published in the Platonist in 1885 entitled The Tarot. The latter essay is implied by Decker and Dummett to have been written by an individual with a connection to the occult order known as the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor. So while it is not clear as to what extent the Hermetic Brotherhood used tarot cards in its practices, it was to influence later occult societies such as Albert Benjamin's Church of Light, which had tarot practices and also had an, an accompanying deck of its own. The adoption of the esoteric tarot practices of the Golden Dawn in the United States was driven in part by the American occultist Paul Foster Case, whose 1920s book, called An Introduction to the Study of the Tarot, made use of the Rider-Waite-Smith deck and, and assorted esoteric associations first adopted by the Golden Dawn. By the 1930s, Case had now formed his own occult order, the Builders of the Aditum, and began to promote the revised new art tarot, but by Manly P. Hall, sorry, 
with art by J. Augustus Knapp, as well as Case's own deck. Executed by Jesse Burns Park, the artwork of Case's deck, the BOTA Tarot, generally as resembles that of the Rider Waite Smith deck, but also the deck shows influences from Oswald Worth and the original design of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn Tarot. Case promoted the deck in his 1947 book, The Tarot, A Key to the Wisdom of the Ages, which also marked one of the first references to the work of Carl Jung by a tarotist. Esoteric use of Rider Waite Smith Tarot was also promoted in the works of Eden Gray, whose three books on the tarot made extensive use of the deck. Gray's books were adopted by members of the 1960s counterculture as standard reference works on divinatory use of tarot cards, and her 1970 book, A Complete Guide to the Tarot, was the first work to use the metaphor of the fool's journey to explain the meanings of the major arcana. Tarot since 1970 The work of Eden Gray and others in the 1960s led to an explosion of popularity in tarot cards. Reading beginning in 1969. Stuart R. Kaplan's US Game Systems, which had been founded in 1968, to import copies of the Swiss 1JJ Tarot, was well positioned to take advantage of this explosion, and then reissued the then out-of-print Rider Waite Smith Tarot in 1970, which has not gone out of print ever since. Tarot card reading quickly became associated with the New Age thought, signalled in part by the popularity of David Palladini's Rider White Smith inspired Aquarian Tarot that was first issued in 1968. Artists soon began to create their own interpretations of the tarot. For artistic purposes rather than purely esoteric ones, such as the Mountain Dream Tarot of B. Nettles, the first photographic tarot deck that was released in 1975. The 1980s and 1990s saw the rise of a new generation of tarotists influenced by the writings of Eden Gray, the work of Carl Jung and also Joseph Campbell on the psychological archetypes. These tarotists thought to apply tarot cards reading to personal introspection and growth and included Mary Kay Greer, the author of Tarot for Yourself, a workbook for the Inward Journey, 1984, and Rachel Pollack, the author of The 78 Degrees of Wisdom, 1980-83. Tarot card decks also began to gain popularity as a divinatory tool in countries like Japan, where now hundreds of new decks have been designed in recent years. With the democratization of digital publishing in the 2020s, 
This now led to a new explosion of tarot decks as artists became increasingly able to now self-publish their own decks. Use of tarot. Tarot is often used in conjunction with the study of the Hermetic Kabbalahs. In these decks, all the cards are illustrated in accordance with Kabbalistic principle, most being influenced by the Rider Waite deck. Its images were drawn by the artist Pamela Coleman-Smith to the instructions of Christian mystic and occultist Arthur Edward Waite and was published in 1911. A difference from the Marseille style decks is that Waite and Smith used scenes with esoteric meanings on the suit cards. These esoteric or divinatory meanings were derived in great part from the writings of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn group of which Waite had been a member. The meanings and many of the illustrations showed the influence of astrology as well as Kabbalistic principles. Personal use. So, next to the use of tarot cards to divine for others by professional cartomancers, tarot is also used widely as a device for the seeking of personal guidance and also for spiritual growth. Practitioners often believe tarot cards can help the individual explore one's spiritual path. People who use tarot for divination may seek insight on topics ranging, from wide, ranging widely from health or economic issues to what they believe would be best for them spiritually. So, the way practitioners use the cards in regard to such personal inquiries is subject to a variety of personal beliefs. For example, some tarot users may believe that the cards themselves are magically providing answers, while others may believe that a supernatural force or a mystical energy is guiding the cards into a layout. Alternatively, there are some practitioners who believe that tarot cards may be utilised as a psychological tool based on their archetypal imagery, an idea that's often attributed to Carl Jung. Jung wrote, It also seems as if the set of pictures in the tarot cards were distantly descended from the archetypes of transformation a view that has been confirmed for me in a very enlightening lecture by Professor Benoli. During a 1933 seminar on active imagination, Jung describes the symbolism he saw in the imagery. The original cards of the tarot consist of the ordinary cards, the king, the queen, the knight, the ace and so on. Only the figures are somewhat different, and besides, there are 21 cards upon which are symbols or pictures of symbolical situations. For example, the symbol of the sun, or the symbol of the man, 
hung up by the feet or the tower struck by lightning or the wheel of fortune and so on. Those are sort of archetypal ideas of a differentiated nature which mingle with the ordinary constituents of the flow of the unconscious and therefore it is applicable for an intuitive method that has the purpose of understanding the flow of life possibly even predicting future events at all events lending the it itself to the reading of the conditions of the present moment before I finish let me say this if you are interested in making a podcast then I recommend Anchor it's free, you can use it on your laptop, tablet or like me use it on your mobile you can edit, add music and Anchor will send it into the world via multiple podcast platforms thank you very much